If you were with us last week, you know that we have begun a journey through the book of Exodus, the story of how God delivered his people from the evil hand of Pharaoh. And specifically, we're looking at this story through the lens of seeing how God helped shape Moses' character and the character of the Israelites so we might better understand how God shapes our character today. If you remember from last Sunday, we talked about how the fact that God delivered and saved baby Moses from certain death. For Pharaoh had commanded that every male Hebrew baby who was born was to be cast into the Nile and be drowned. Well, Moses' mother loved her baby boy so much that she nursed him in hiding for as long as she could. And then eventually she had to put uh, Moses out. And so she put him in a basket and sent him into the river. And then by God's grace and provision, Pharaoh's daughter saw baby Moses crying in a basket. And we read that she was, had pity upon him. And she chose, ironically, to raise Moses as her own within the palace of Pharaoh, despite the fact that her father had commanded that every male Hebrew baby must be killed. We pick up the story this morning in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Listen to God's word. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Clearly, God has given Moses a great sense of justice, a zeal for justice. And when he sees an injustice happening, Moses reacts and kills the Egyptian who is beating the Hebrew. Well, we know that the word gets to Pharaoh and Moses becomes a wanted man. For in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15, we read this. When Pharaoh heard of it, the murder, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Now, we actually have a a map of Midian. I want to show you this map of Midian. You can see Midian is circled in red. You can see there's lower Egypt, the the Nile region where where Moses uh, was raised as a baby boy and raised to be an adult in Pharaoh's palace. And once he murders this Egyptian, he flees to Midian. Well, if you notice that as he has to go from lower Egypt to Midian, he has to travel through the wilderness of Shur and the wilderness of Paran in what is current day Saudi Arabia. Now, there's a great picture of that region. I've never been uh, to Saudi Arabia, but it is even more dry and desolate than Amarillo. I mean, there are no trees. At least we were able to plant some trees, but they have no trees to speak of. It is a dry and arid place. The last thing I'd want to do is have to travel through this kind of wilderness, but that's exactly what Moses does. You know, it's interesting as we read the whole Bible, you'll see that that even though the wilderness seems lifeless, it's in the midst of the wilderness that God often speaks to his people. To see an example of this, I would encourage you to turn in your red pew Bibles to page 59 as we continue the story of Moses and the Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 59 of your red pew Bible. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired Moses to tell this story, to recount for us all that happened while he was in the wilderness, 
herding his father-in-law's sheep. Lord, as you spoke to Moses, we pray that you might speak to us again today, that we might hear from you and that we might be forever changed. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray in all God's people said, amen. Exodus chapter three, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I want to pause there just for a moment. Uh, Moses was raised, of course, in the household of Pharaoh as a prince in Pharaoh's palace. As an Egyptian prince, Pharaoh was certainly told at a very early age that shepherds were, well, they were despised, dirty people because they spent all their time with animals. In fact, in Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, we read this. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Moses had been raised believing that shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. And now, because of the choices he's made, he's had to flee to Midian. And now he himself is a shepherd. But he's not even hurting his own sheep. He has to hurt his father-in-law's sheep. He's working for his father-in-law. That can't be easy, right? He's trying to to make do and he's having to herd his father-in-law's sheep because he's too poor to have his own sheep. Moses has been humbled by life's circumstances. And it's in this humble state of affairs that God decides to appear to Moses to make himself known to Moses at Mount Horeb, better known as Mount Sinai. We actually have a picture of Mount Horeb. It might be hard to see there, but it's a It's a very rocky, desolate place. And we continue to read that while Moses was at Mount Horeb, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. I want to pause there just for a second. Notice that as as Moses is herding his sheep, he notices this bush that's burning, and yet it is not consumed by the flame. But also notice that God waits until Moses sees the bush before he speaks to Moses. God has been giving Moses a sign of this burning bush, but he waits until Moses sees the sign before he speaks to Moses. I wonder how often that's true with us. God is sending us signs, uh, signals, things about his activity in our life and all around us, but we're often too busy to see the signs, and so we don't hear the message that God clearly wants to bring to us. Reminds me of the story who was living on the, um, of the man who was living on the banks of the Mississippi River, and they knew that the floodwaters of the river, the banks were about to rise, and so the mayor of the town asked everyone to, to evacuate, and so the police showed up at his door and said, sir, you should leave your home, the floodwaters are coming, the river's going to rise, and your house will be underwater. Well, the man, a, a great man of faith, said, no, I, I know that God will save me, I don't need to flee, I have faith in God. Well, sure enough, the floodwaters came, the waters rose, and the man had to, to, uh, to flee to the second story of his home. 
Well, then a boat came floating by with the policeman and said, sir, please get in the boat. The floodwaters are continuing to rise. It's only going to get higher and your house will be consumed. You need to join us in this boat so that you might be safe. He said, no, no, I am a man of great faith. God will deliver me. Well, finally, the waters rose to the roof of his house and he got on the top of the roof and finally a helicopter came flying by and said, sir, please come grab the rope so that we might rescue you. The waters are going to continue to rise. He said, no, no, God will save me. Well, the waters rose and the man drowned and he got to heaven. He said, God, I had faith in you. Why didn't you save me? And God said, well, why weren't you paying attention to the signs I gave you? I told the mayor to tell everybody to evacuate. I sent the policeman to your door. I sent the boat, and I sent a helicopter. Why didn't you take any of these signs? Sometimes we miss the signs. God calls us, but we're not listening because we're too busy doing our own thing. Fortunately, Moses sees the sign that God is giving because he's out in the wilderness where there are very few trees, very few bushes and this tree stands out as it continues to burn and yet is not consumed. And one of the blessings of spending time in the wilderness alone with God is that as we're surrounded by God's creation, we are made more aware of God's presence in our lives. When was the last time you spent time alone with God in the midst of his beautiful creation? Dallas Willard uh, explains this about solitude. He says, Solitude is choosing to be alone. In stark aloneness, it's possible to have silence, to be still, and to know that Jehovah indeed is God, Psalm 46, verse 10. To set the Lord before our minds with sufficient intensity and duration that we stay centered upon him, our hearts fixed, established in trust, Psalm 112, verses seven to eight. When was the last time you had some real quality time of solitude where you're alone with God, that you might clear your mind of all the distractions and sit still and listen for God's small voice speaking to us as you meditate on his word. Of course, Moses doesn't have the written word of God in our text, but he has the the book of nature. And so God chooses to speak to God, to Moses through the book of nature by giving him this sign of of a burning bush that is not consumed And we continue to read. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, the Hebrew word that's used for God here is Elohim. It's a generic term for God. It's not the specific name of the God of Israel. Our God actually has a name. But here, God is only written about as Elohim, as God, that generic term. And as one who was raised in Pharaoh's palace, Moses was not familiar with the name, the holy name of God. Yes, he knew that the Hebrews, the Israelites, his own people had one God, but he didn't know this God well. He didn't even know his name. It's like all of us. We know that there are 36 uh, congressmen and women who represent our state of Texas in the House of Representatives, 
in Washington, D.C., but I doubt any one of us could name all 36. I doubt any one of us know all 36. Now, hopefully we know our own congressman, Mac Thornberry. He was actually here last Sunday with his wife, Sally, worshiping with us. He's a very kind man, a very uh, loving person, you know, if you get to know him. But you don't really know Mac until you get to meet him and talk with him. That's how we get to know people. And Moses has heard about this Elohim, this God of Israel, but he doesn't know him. He doesn't know him intimately. He's never met him. But in the wilderness of Horeb, God is making himself known to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Of all the people that God could call to lead his people out of Egypt, why would God call Moses? Moses was a wanted man. He was guilty of murder. There were people who wanted to see justice done to Moses. They wanted to see Moses killed. And Moses, the last thing he probably wanted to do was to, was to go back to Egypt. He had fled to Midian to escape the justice of Pharaoh. Why Moses? Besides, the scriptures tell us later that Moses was 80 years old when he was called by God to lead the people out of Egypt. At the age of 80, I'm pretty sure that Moses was not looking for a career change. He he was happy herding his father-in-law's sheep. Yes, life hadn't turned out the way he wanted to, but at least he was safe in Midian with his wife and his children and his father-in-law's sheep. Why did God call Moses, of all people, to lead his people out of Egypt. In 1 Peter, Peter the rock in which Jesus builds his church, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter the apostle writes this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that as the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself before the Lord. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Moses was a man who had been humbled by life circumstances. He was one of the most humble men men alive. He, He was one who knew that he was broken in need of God's help. Yes, in Moses' humble state, God chooses to reveal himself to Moses, and God calls Moses to do the unthinkable, to lead his people out of slavery, to lead them out of Egypt. 
Now notice in Exodus chapter three, God not only tells Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt, but he also wants to lead them to the promised land flowing with milk and honey where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites already live. I'm pretty sure that those people did not want 600,000 Israelites coming to their land to now share it with them. I'm pretty sure Moses knew that these Jebusites and these Hittites and these Canaanites and Perizzites and Jebusites would not welcome them with open arms. Moses is calculating in his mind, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to fight my way out of Egypt, then I'm going to have to fight my way into the promised land, and I'm too old for this. At 44, I feel like I'd be too old for that, right? And yet God calls Moses... Anyway, and so Moses, in all humility and fear, says, Moses, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Listen to God's response, beginning in verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians." Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. As we look at Exodus 3 a little more closely this morning, we can see that Moses' first objection to God's call is, who am I? And then Moses' second objection to God is, who are you? Moses has not been raised among the Hebrews or the Israelites. He doesn't know the proper name of God. And so he asks, if I'm going to go to these Israelites who don't know me, I should at least know your name so that I can say that you sent me. Moses knows that he doesn't have any inherent credibility with the people of Israel. He needs to know the name of God if he hopes to communicate God's message to them. 
Notice how God answers Moses' question in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to you. Now the Hebrew word for Lord here in verse 16 and 17 is Yahweh. It was the very same, has the very same root as the words that are translated in verse 14 as I am who I am. Basically, God's name is a to-be verb in ancient Hebrew. In fact, the to-be verb in the original Hebrew, verse 14, is in the imperfect tense. The imperfect tense speaks of, a, of an action from the past that doesn't have a definite ending. It's an incomplete tense. Some scholars argue that you know, we could translate this, I am who I am, and say, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. We use the imperfect tense when we say, you know, we gathered together and we were worshiping God. Now we know that's in the past, but we don't give a definite ending. It's not like we said we worshiped God, past tense. We were worshiping God. It has this imperfect ending. We don't know exactly when it ends. By using the imperfect tense in the Hebrew, God is saying, I am and I always will be. There's no end to God. God is forever, eternal. Furthermore, by telling Moses that his name is a to-be verb, God is helping Moses and all of Israel see that everything that is, everything that exists, is because of God. There's nothing that exists apart from God. God is ultimately responsible for creating everything. Old Testament scholar Stuart, uh, Gord, uh, Stuart uh, Douglas Stewart from Gordon-Conwell Seminary explains it this way. The I am name. He says, the name should thus be understood as referring to Yahweh's being the creator and sustainer of all that exists, and thus the Lord of both creation and history, all that is and all that is happening, a God active and present in historical affairs. Reminds me, when I was in English in high school, my sophomore English teacher wanted to make sure that we wrote in the active voice, not the passive voice. So for a whole six weeks, she would not allow us to write using the to be verb. Do you know how hard it is not to use a to be verb in your writing or in your speaking? It is very hard, it is very hard to talk and write without using the verbs am, is, are, was, were, been, being, be. It's hard to talk and write without using to be verbs because the to be verb is everywhere. God is everywhere. All that exists has been created by God. Ultimately, God is omnipresent. He sees all things. Just as God saw the the persecution of the Israelites, God sees when we are frustrated, when we are hurting, when we are sad, when we are glad. God is with us and he sees 
all that happens. He sees us when we celebrate and he sees us when we grieve. God sees us when we bless others and God sees us when we curse others. God sees us when we honor him and God sees us when we sin. God sees everything. And the good news of the gospel is that God knows everything. He sees our innermost thoughts and yet he loves us anyway because our thoughts aren't always good. Our actions aren't always kind. But God loves us as we see in Deuteronomy chapter seven. God loves us because he loves us. And God has shown us the full extent of his love. As Paul writes to the house churches in Rome, Romans chapter five, verse eight, which I often quote many Sundays, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might be made right with God. For as we read in Deuteronomy and as Paul reminds us in Galatians, cursed is he who is hung on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us. He who had no sin took on the sins of the world when he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. And now we can have the assurance of eternal life, the gift of a new life if we simply believe in him and accept his great gift. Yes, God loves us because he loves us. And Jesus is the great I am, as Gary pointed out just a moment ago. There has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. He has always been and always will be with us and for us. For as you read in the very end of Matthew's gospel and the Great Commission, and lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's when Moses encounters God at the burning bush, Moses doesn't know God's name. Moses humbly went into the wilderness to herd his father-in-law's sheep. And he probably wasn't looking for the Lord, but in his humble time of solitude and silence, God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses' character is changed. You'll see in this conversation, he moves from a scared man to a courageous man who is willing to follow God's call. When we spend time alone with God, listening to God's word, our lives are ultimately changed. And we begin to become who God is calling us to begin to be as we begin to see the world through the lens of God's holy, inspired word. It's the good news for us is that we don't have to go into the wilderness and try and find a burning bush. We have the written word of God if you want to hear from God today. We simply need to read it every day. You know, I believe the, one of the greatest problems with the church in America today is, is not that we don't have the word, it's that we don't spend time reading the word. Did you know that the average American spends over five hours a day watching television? And this is football season, so some of us are above average, huh? Yet how much time do we spend reading and meditating on God's holy, inspired word so that we might hear God's word, so that it might transform us from the inside out? I know what some of you are thinking, but yeah, Howard, I am already so busy. How could I possibly find more time to read God's word? Well, the good news for us is if you have an iPhone or an Android or an iPad or any kind of technology, there's actually an app that you can download for free. It's called YouVersion, and it gives you almost every English translation for free. I normally read from the ESV because that's what's in our pews. 
And you can download this version of the Bible and then you can actually begin to, to play it so that you might hear the word of God. So you can be literally driving your car and listening to the word of God. It's fantastic how you can hear God's word driving, not have to worry about reading it. We'll play it out here if you can hear it. Excellent. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. It's like you're hearing from the word of the Lord. I mean, this guy's James Earl Jones' voice, great voice, better than my own voice. I drove and I listened to the word of God this morning on my 15-minute drive to church. It doesn't take much, but if we can make time to hear God speak to us each and every day, God will begin to do a work in and through us so that we begin to reflect more and more of God's great love for us. Because all of this Bible ultimately points to God's love for you and me. And if we hope to reflect that love, we need to grow in the knowledge of his love by spending time in solitude and silence as Moses did, listening to God's word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the great gift of your word that you inspired Moses and other prophets and apostles to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today, that we might read it and hear from you. Oh God, we pray that by your word, you might continue to communicate to us that we with open hearts might hear your word and be transformed. And may each one of us take the time we need to listen to your word, whether it be on the ride to work or on the ride home or at the breakfast table or in as we get ready to go to bed. God, help us to take the time we need to listen to you. We pray this in the strong and precious